another episode of Stoke Meter. Today we have Eileen Koo. Eileen is the CEO of the Opportunity Network. Now, of course, you know I want to read this one. Reimagining networks as sources of power to catalyze opportunity and access for students from historical, uh, historically underrepresented communities so they can drive their visions of college and career success forward. That's a mouthful, <laughs> but what a great mission. Eileen, we are so grateful to have you. How are, how are you this morning? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm excited. It's a good way to start the day. It is indeed. And you said you were fully caffeinated, right? Well, I'm one cup in the second cup. So <laughs> depending on how you count fully caffeinated, I am fully caffeinated from one cup. <laughs> well, and the way that we were introduced was through our mutual friend, Elizabeth Nieto, who is the, uh, who's over diversity over there at Spotify. And when we heard about this network, we thought, man, we've got to be, we've got to talk to Eileen there because it's such a cool uh, it, it's such a cool concept, and, and the impact that you're having is incredible. Uh, just looking at some of the, the students that you've helped, uh, and, and then also that, that uh, neighborhood outreach, it's amazing. Uh, so I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind giving us uh, the download on what the Opportunity Network is. Sure, I'm happy to. Uh, so the Opportunity Network is a national nonprofit organization, and we run two types of programming. The first type of programming we run is a direct service program. So we work with New York City public high school students. We recruit from over 50% of public high schools, and we start working with students from the summer after 10th grade all the way into college um, and through college graduation and into their first careers. And the young people that we work with are entirely young people of color. They're the, most of them are the first in their families to go to college. Um, and they're just these wonderful human beings that we get the honor of working with for six to eight years. And in that six to eight years that they're with us, they um, participate in summer opportunities. And so that's paid internships, enrichment programs, leadership exchange programs. And when they're in high school in 11th to 12th grade, we see them after school. Uh, and so they, we see them once a week, every week after school, out of school, and we support them with skills building, um, navigating college, and then just really looking at the world and all the opportunities that can be in front of them for them to choose. And, and so that, um, that is both college as well as all the careers that are in front of them. And so we've been doing that for almost 20 years <laughs> and in building that curriculum, we were a, you know, our field is are, you know, really interested in collaboration. And so a lot of organizations came and said, hey, you do, you integrate college and you integrate career, you integrate networks and social capital and career exposure. Uh, we want to do some of that too. And so we have a capacity building arm. So we work with community-based organizations, public high schools, higher ed institutions, and also employers across the country to help them build the welcoming spaces for our young people. Uh, young people of color and first their families to go to college. And so through that program, we serve about 10,000 students uh, or about 20 cities. And in New York, we serve 1,200 students. Holy moly. And I didn't realize it was six to eight years. How did I even miss that? <laughs> wow, six to eight years. That's amazing. So, okay, you know, I've got to ask this. In that six to eight years, because when you initially go after um, folks that you're going to recruit, and it's got to be like a deer in the headlights, like, whoa, what's going on here? But once they transition into this program, what are some of the 
What are some of the things that you see in these transformations that you see? They've got to be amazing. It's they well, they come to us amazing and we get the opportunity to keep working at it together. I think that's what's so beautiful about the community. And so in the I think our job and our role is really to take their motivation, their ambitions, their goals. And we our job is to remove the barriers that are in front of them. And we say, hey, take a look at all of these opportunities. We don't actually um kind of nudge our students into any careers. We say, you should know about everything that's out there. And we also don't nudge our students to any particular colleges. And we say, you should know about all the options. This is the right fit for you. And we talk about fit. We talk about cultural fit. We talk about financial fit. We talk about academic fit, right? We talk about all sorts of things, social fit. And so our students get to build their mindset and really have a sense of agency and self-determination. And you kind of just see that flourish over the course of the six to eight years. And by the time they're graduating, college and into their first jobs, they're coming back and they're supporting the younger fellows, right? And that's a beautiful thing to see. And that's how you see that trajectory and that flourishing and that um, self-determining kind of uh, happening, self-determination happening, and then coming back uh, to the younger classes and back into their communities. That is Awesome guy saw Gary's mouth about to open. I think that's just a really great concept of what you guys are doing. And the reason I say that is because, you know, just your, your target demographic of kids that typically they're the first in their family to ever go to college, you know, and you said you started with them at, at 10th grade, right? The summer after 10th grade, we recruit yeah, them so, in 10th grade. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how important it is, I mean, especially if you don't have that background of what you're supposed to do, like, you know, if, if I didn't know <laughs> how the whole college thing works, what I do after graduation, and then you guys take it all the way through to their first job. I just think that's, it's almost like high school part two, <laughs> but at a higher <laughs> level, you know what I mean? Like, like you're bridging that super important gap between, you know, the, towards the end of high school, all the way through their first job. I'm, I, Part of me, I'm a little surprised that that isn't more standard just across the board. Yeah, I mean, that's really astute. Uh, I think we see a lot of our um, peer organizations, community-based organizations are extending their time and their time with the young people that they serve because they realize there's these key transition points, right? And so like you said, from high school into college and then college into more college college (laughs) (laughs) into careers. And so many of that, so many kind of, the steps and the rules um, of navigating those key points are never written out to it. Like nobody mm-hmm. tells you it's like yeah. hidden somewhere. And um, if you have some family member that has gone to college, maybe they can help you or if somebody has navigated, you know, a job application process, they can help you. Um, but it doesn't have to be so hidden. It doesn't have to be so implicit, right? We, we do our best to make everything explicit. So, because when it's explicit and it's visible, it's right in front of you, yeah. um, your opportunity to access uh, things that fulfill you and can challenge challenge you and help you grow become much easier right and so um the the longitudinal uh uh kind of design was always part of our plan uh in in our fellows program and we support our partners to do the same what i love about this is uh sorry for stepping on that here no 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 go ahead but there's two things that really stand out to me one the first thing is it's so customized. You're not fitting everyone in the bucket. This is exactly what you have to do. It's a very unique experience for the individual going through that. 
and it, it it's so rewarding for both the individuals that are helping and the and the student themselves. But the other thing is the succession that you're building and this connection with the other next generation of students coming into the program. It's it's really you. I bet you if you put the genealogy of the people that you've impacted, it's going to be pretty pronounced. And it's it's a model. I'm wondering why don't corporations do this more often, man? <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say from this standpoint and easy to say from the experience that I've, I've seen, but this is a great way for succession because it's not a one size fits all. Let's do some exploration. Here are some awesome options. Bam. I, that's, that's powerful stuff. Again, Gary, I'm sorry for stepping on your question there. No, Go for it. But I laugh because, I mean, it's kind of eerie sometimes how Maurice or, and I are a little bit on the same page every <laughs> once in a while. I, I was just going to say the same thing. Like, the, you're, you're, you're impacting so many future generations by what you're doing with these kids now. I mean, because now they are going to be that future one that can guide their kids or their, you know, their relatives through that journey. You know, anyway, I just, that, it's, it's so exciting to me what you guys are doing. But my question is, is let, let, let's back up a little bit. Tell us about your story and how you got involved. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going to go do it. <laughs> I know. I know yeah. <laughs> Cause I, you know, this, again, this is one of those things where I know there's a story behind the story and mm-hmm. I, I just like to hear how, what, what, what is your story? Where, where did you come from and what did, how did you end up sitting in that chair that you're in right now? Yeah. Well, it's a big chair. Trying to fill it out. <laughs> Trying to fill it all the way out in my chair. Um, although I have been in this chair for two and a half years, nonstop. Um, so oh, so I um I'm an immigrant from Taiwan. I actually moved here with my family when we were uh, when I was 10 years old. And so we moved to a very small town in New Jersey. Um, and the town wasn't, I, I would say the teachers um hadn't gotten any training or experience in working with immigrant families. And so uh, my sisters and I I have two older sisters had to learn English and the teachers weren't equipped. Uh, I think the teachers weren't equipped. And so that had a series of negative interactions in terms of my entree into the American education system. Right. And so oftentimes marginalized within the classroom, I think oftentimes just kind of left to figure it out for our, for ourselves. Um, and that's a hard thing for, for a 10 year old to, to navigate uh, in a brand new country in a brand new environment. So I think that early on, it left me wondering, surely there can be something better uh, than what I'm experiencing right now. And so you kind of fast forward um, into college. And so I went to NYU for college and I knew I wanted to do something that was social justice oriented because of some early uh the impact that I had in being marginalized and feeling that I wasn't belonging in any of the spaces where we actually were occupying. So I really looked into social justice opportunities. And so thinking about uh, community economic development, but really interviewing uh, community-based organizations that supported people coming out of prisons. How do you reenter into society and support them? And I just got to do some really cool things. I got to be an investigative intern and I was like, who gets to say that? Um, I got to get a cool little laminated ID card. Um, I'm sure it's in my basement somewhere. (laughs) And and so for a long time, I thought I was going to be a public interest attorney. And so I 
interned at the law school as much as I could. I got exposed to the legal education system. And um, then I realized I was actually going to be terrible at it. (laughs) And I'd be absolutely epically horrible at it. Like just the worst, just the worst to like, I don't like it. I didn't like it. I was like this, my kind of my locus of control was not as much as I wanted it. It just, it was a lot of things. And also legal education, thinking about, you know, English is my second language, legal education, the Socratic method, everything about it gave me anxiety and everything about it was the opposite of a learning environment that would help me thrive. So I switched gears and ended up pursuing uh, sociology in college, but then a public a public public administration degree uh, for graduate school because I realized I'm just really good at managing things. I'm good at organizing. I'm good at standing things up to achieve something, and I also like to control things. <laughs> I no. really enjoy controlling the things that I work on, and so. Um, by control, I just mean like heavy influence, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and so I worked in higher ed for a little while for the public administration school where I, where I got my degree. And so I was in admissions. I was meeting hundreds of, you know, applicants all the time. And one of the directives was you need to diversify the student body. And in graduate education, by the time you see the applicants, you're already missing so many steps. And so the pipeline was not diverse and not diverse enough. So you have to keep going back and going back. And so I uh, made the call to to go to a smaller organization like Opnet. So I heard about it from a funder and a friend, you know, people hear about jobs all the time through networks. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give this two years. I was like, it's a small organization. I'm used to big institutions. Let's give it let's give it a go. You know, I can do some, some stuff here. Um, and that was 10 and a half years ago, <laughs> but I think, you know, what's exciting about being at Opnet is sitting at the, the intersection of education and social justice. And how do we really think about having the curriculum and the programming we do, uh, reflect, reflect back our students' identities. And so they always feel like they have a place that belongs. So the moment they walk in the door, they feel seen, they feel held. Uh, and that's really important to me. And uh, so everything that we do from the volunteers we bring in, the partners that we bring in, the internship opportunities they have, the enrichment programs they go on, that's the common thread, right? The common thread is that our students belong in all the spaces uh, that they enter. And so whether it's for a learning opportunity or for a career opportunity. And so it's been a really uh, fun experience. <laughs> you've, you've evoked so many memories of my youth. So I, I, I grew up in Utah back in the day. And, uh, and for any listeners, if this is repeat, please forgive me. But and when I got to school, you know, I, I, I grew up on a farm, so we were a family and so on and so forth. And so I didn't know anything about the, the differences in the world out there. Then I got to school, man, I was called every name in the book. <laughs> yeah. I was the only one that looked like me. And uh, it was so funny because, well, it wasn't funny back then. I got the crap kicked out of me and uh, all these, all these different things. But then it was interesting because then my then I learned how to fight, and when once once those things happened, I made some friends. Uh, it was interesting to see that transition of understanding because I know I know that there's that that word social justice out there, and 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 sometimes it has that connotation like what's that mean? But for me, what it 
what uh, I realized is it was this process of learning about each other. And they pretty, pretty soon I understood where my friends were coming from and why, I mean, at the time I'm old man. And at the time it was the Vietnam war and the Vietnam war had just ended. And there was a lot of harsh types of thoughts about anyone that looked like me. Right. And so understanding that they learned about me and there was, there was a lot of sharing of culture. And so listening to this, it's, it's so neat to me to see that you have students that are probably connected to people that, that um, would never have understood what the backgrounds that they came from because they're coming from their own frame of reference. And so it just, it, the opportunity network is that, that breeding ground of bringing people together to make each other better. It's not just the contributors that are benefiting the students. I see the, the students of a, as a benefit to the contributors too. Am I off on that? And I'm sorry for this weird tangent. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. I don't think you're off. I think at the core of it is having expansive humanity. And I think at the core of it is how do we see each other in the fullest? And, and so I think you're absolutely right. And our students love when they, you know, when we actually have them uh, kind of raise their hands or share like who's from the Bronx, who's from Brooklyn, who's from Queens, you know, when we go into the boroughs that, that, that uh, borough pride is strong (laughs) (laughs) strong. and and it should be. And, and the boroughs have their own unique identities. And so even from a borough basis, our students love the fact that they have friends now and lifelong kind of networks of folks from all these different boroughs. And that's a beautiful thing to see. It really is. And I think it's, I don't know, I, I really enjoy, I mean, I've, I've obviously known Maurice for a long time, but just hearing both, you know, knowing his story and then just hearing yours right now, the thing that I think is so awesome is that, you know, you guys are such positive people, <laughs> you know, even though you, you had such struggles. I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I can't even imagine being dropped into a foreign country at the age of 10, not knowing the language <laughs> and having to go to school and say, Go. <laughs> like to, to, to me that's just that is a, an incredible story in itself but then when you throw you know people don't understand who you are they don't understand your culture any of the above and you and then there's just some persecution I'm sure that was thrown in the mix and then to take that and turn it into such a positive thing and you both have done that you know what I mean you've both taken you know some an incredibly difficult childhood it sounds like but you're taking it and saying, okay, how can we, how can I make an impact in the world on people and plant seeds to make this just flourish into something so much better? You know what I mean? And when you talk about these kids going, you know, so, so much of understanding other people is face-to-face interaction and exposure in my mind. And so you're, you, you have people from one borough. Now they see someone from another borough and they go, wait a minute, they put their pants on just like I do. And they're actually really good. <laughs> you know. I love that. I love how, you know, there's so many of our guests have had stories like what, what you're talking about. And so many times the antidote to the, the negative is exposure. And it sounds like one of the things with your program as well is just getting people out there. You're giving them direction. You're giving them guidance. But at the same time, you're pulling them out of their pigeonhole, so to speak. 
anyway, I, I just and, think and it's, from yeah. both sides, it's not just the people who are coming from the, the boroughs, but everyone, right? Everyone involved, yeah, yeah. right? And and here's the other thing that struck me. There was something that you had told me in our initial meeting, uh, just to, to segue into this interview. And that was that you, you, you maximize the power of storytelling. And I have found storytelling. I mean, listen to your story. It's just, again, that's one cool thing. When you get so many people from uh, very diverse backgrounds, Boy, I'm telling you what, that that ability to tell a story levels the playing field. And I'm wondering if there are any examples that you have seen where people might have been very hesitant to come into contact with someone until they learn each other's story. Any Anything that you can share on that? I, mean, I can speak from my own experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, when I joined OpNet, um, OpNet was six or seven full-time staff members. And we had about 200 students. Um, and we were so small. I was still, I, and because I started as a director of programs, much of my job was also to facilitate the workshops, some of the workshops, right? You kind of, everybody you just get tagged in and do some of them. Right. And our students were like, who is this? <laughs> Which is super fair and super valid because I'm new. I'm this unknown person who's coming into their community. They have never met me before. They know our my other colleagues really well. They're used to seeing their faces. They have a rapport. And I'm just like, some stranger who's waltzing in and being like, I'm going to command your time. And, and I think that initial, and then hearing kind of my resume, oh, this person comes from NYU, from higher ed, uh, has a little bit more of a you know, a corporate feel to it. And, and so not really knowing me, but my job was to facilitate community and to facilitate learning. Um, and so I think in sharing stories, I think the stories that I love uh, connecting with our, our students on is when we talk about our immigrant upbringing. And you can't imagine how many similarities there are in terms of <laughs> maybe we don't use the dishwasher. Maybe we are skeptical whether or not it cleans our dishes. Maybe our parents are super strict and always wants us to be, right? And there are things that have seemed so innocuous, but they bind us. And um, and then we talk, you know, just like the way we, we interact, how food is the core of how we love and care for one another. Mm -hmm. And um, just these things, these snippets come out. And so I think I've learned to, to share those in appropriate and welcome to kind of places. But I think that builds trust. But I think it also, because if you're willing to share some of those stories, that's where you see the connective tissue of humanity and stories, even though, you know, they're like, we don't know you, right. You, you, you from some higher ed institution, like, I don't know what you're about. And I'm like, fair, let me tell you what I am about. Um, and so I think that, that took some time. I wouldn't say like, you know, just as soon as I, I talked about it, you know, we formed a bond, but it took time. And so, you know, that first class of students I got to facil facilitate um, when I first joined OpNet, I talked to a good number of them still, you know, we're, we're just right. in, we're just good friends now you know I met them when they were 17 and now they're full-grown weddings and kids and everything I was like I don't know you getting old and so am I but <laughs> but I like to think they're getting older than I am <laughs> but do you it, it seems to me like you know again Maurice and I we're, we're we're super old but it seems like back in in our day 
our day Man, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> back in the dinosaur age um it seemed like like people you know, like immigrants or, or outsider or however you know like people that weren't from whatever region you were in it almost seemed like back then the the concept was is okay you got to give up your identity as much as possible to assimilate mm-hmm. so now you're one of us and it seems like in a very positive way that's has changed over the years and it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about as well is now it seems like more and more people retain their culture they retain their identity they bring it to the equation and now you know what i mean and i see the positive benefits from that man there's a lot of i throw them the word positive around like it's going out of style right now (laughs) but it's true do you see that do you think that we're doing a better job of assimilating people's background into the cult, the overall culture? I mean, I think that's a really good, good question. you know, I think, you know, from my own experience, much of my early, I would say for, definitely when we first moved here and throughout all the way to high school, maybe in the, the early college years, and then kind of restarting again, my first job is a lot of assimilation. I think assimilation is, is a tool, it's a tactic, it's survival skills, right? The more you blend in, the less you stick out, which means the less you're, you're picked on, right? And so you do it as much as you can. Although if you look the way I do, there's no way of blending in. <laughs> Maurice, you ain't blending in. You blend in with me, but you ain't blending in with anybody else. Uh, <laughs> And so it's a it's a tactic of survival. And I would say some of it. So this is what we're trying to kind of also support our young people with this, like we've all done some version of it. Right. If you're a minority, if you are, you know, not predominantly represented in a space chances are you're navigating, okay, how do I, how do I read the room? What's the dominant kind of representation here? And how do I try to fit in? And and so a lot of us, I would say the, there's always the maintenance and the core commitment to preserving our culture. It just doesn't show up when you see us. Right. And so there's a different version of us when we go out there into the world, when we go to school, when we go to work. And at some point you, you almost have like these two personalities, Mm-hmm. And there, and you can, ha- you can maintain that, but it's exhausting. It's really <laughs> exhausting. And so for me personally, I'm like, I'm done. You get one version. Because I can't <laughs> do this. I'm not very good at doing this two body thing. And, um, and I think as a whole culture, the way, you know, from my perspective, I can't speak for everybody, but I think, you know, between media and representation, kind of the, the increase of representation and what our young people see and just the world changing, I think there's also a real recognition of the power that comes with your, your, your true identity, right? Like mm-hmm. how do you hold all the parts of it? Um, and sure, there not, there might be pieces you have, you don't want to share at work, but that doesn't mean it's not yours. Right. And so I think that's also changed a little bit. It's funny because you, we're, we're talking about how to be true yourself. When, when my mom first immigrated to America from Japan, uh, she didn't teach us Japanese because it was that, that school of, you know what, we're, let's acculturate completely. And <laughs> I remember when she, she would make a sushi and everything like that. And I was looked at as a freak, right? What is that stuff? Now it's in fashion. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, I feel ripped off. But the funny thing too is talking about storytelling. Then I go to Japan and I'm looked at as an alien. <laughs> I look like I am P 
people are, I have this, this Caucasian guy next to me speaks perfect, perfect <laughs> Japanese. And they're, they're, they're yakking at me and I'm going, ah, Wakarunai, oh. man. This is, <laughs> so I play to them and then they, they learn my story. And first of all, I'm a massive anomaly when I go to Japan. Uh, but then I, I start to share things. I didn't know the number four was, <laughs> was a bad luck number over there because the mm. base of the word is, uh, is uh, something for death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was, yeah, man, my lucky number's four. And they were they're they, like, like, what? what? <laughs> they don't even have a fourth floor on the elevator <laughs> over there. So, but the, the, the neat thing about that is you take the two experiences, the one being different, uh, growing up in America, but then going over to ja- Japan and they think oh, I'm one, I'm, I'm one there. And then they realize I'm quickly not. It's so funny because when you share those stories, those unique bonds. And as, as far as what I'm hearing here, going back to maximizing the power of storytelling, this is exactly it. We can laugh with each other. We can learn from those experiences and move on. And that's, that's something that really galvanizes the community. That's one thing that you folks also say, you galvanize that community. And I don't think that happens without sharing our stories. Man, I'm going all over the place. Again, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is, this is great stuff. And it's obvious that you implement that over the Opportunity Network there. So, Yeah. I mean, stories are also where resources and information and connections and ties are all kind of a part of, right? And so yeah. experiences of failures and successes, when told through a story, it manifests into learnings, right? Exactly. And opportunities. And I think... Um, I mean, that's the, and there, there's, we, you know, in, in our work, we support our young people in thinking about networks and social capital right. and social capital being defined in the, you know, the social ties where resources, opportunities, information are exchanged. And um, how else do you get them if not through stories? Yep. Yep. So I have to ask as part of your story, I'm always intrigued by this is who, if you had to name one or two people that were super key in your journey, who would they be and why did they have such an impact on you? Mm, that's such a good question. I guess what kind of impact? Because I was like, I could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you think. This, this is a completely open question. I mean, it could be as simple as the ice cream guy that brought you a popsicle or, you know, whoever. It doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, and I also want to kind of keep it vague because I want to see who comes to your mind as kind of that pivotal person or that, or, or and why were they important to you? Yeah, let me give that a minute. I mean, I have so many. I've been so fortunate. I've had amazing people in my life. So um, if it's just one or two, I mean, I have to say. So I'm one bundle is definitely my parents. Um, I think my yeah. parents, um, they just really modeled service for us really early on. Uh, in our childhood, they were always helping neighbors. Um, and my dad, uh, who is an attorney by training, you know, he took on a lot of pro bono cases and explained to us why it was important that it was part of his obligation. And, and so that was just us growing up and it was very normal in our household. So the idea of service was just life. Uh, and so I think that's, that's a core value to how I see the world, right? And how I move through the world. And then... I think the other person, 
I would say is this amazing leader. Her name is Ala Morabit. Um, she's a UN ambassador for, for women's rights uh, and global security. And she, this was, she's um, just, she has this amazing way of looking at you the moment she sees you for who, exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a moment in my career when we first met where I was unsure, like I was like, mm, do I stay at Apnet? Do I keep going? Do I find a new gig and all that kind of stuff? And she looked at, and she asked me, uh, she goes, well, what's your story? So I give her this perfect, perfect kind of talk about what Apnet does. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I think you misheard me. I asked you what your story is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I tell her the same thing. I talk about Apnet and all the great work we're doing. She's like, okay, we're I'm just going to call it right here. She said, well, I want to know about you. She had, there's something about you that is both very intellectual and uh, kind of passionate about the, the root of the work. And so she's the first person that started like excavating all these stories that I had. And this was not only a few years ago. It wasn't a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and there's something magical when somebody can do that, when they can see you before you can fully see yourself. Mm-hmm. That transforms the way you, you kind of enter into the world and step into your power and your identity. And so she's a pretty powerful person in that way. I know. That's awesome. This That's is cool. It goes along with uh, so there's you, there's one thing that keeps on coming to mind is uh, something else that we spoke with early, and that is believe in your own greatness. And to me, when I say my greatness, I think, ah, that's a cocky son of a gun, but that's not it. <laughs> it it's, it's a whole different thing. And this is exactly what I think she might have been alluding to. She wanted to understand who you were to understand your own uniqueness, because that in and of itself is a great thing. And I look at everything your organization has done, and there is an underlying, an underlying commitment to bring that, uh, <laughs> this sounds biblical, to bring that to pass. <laughs> right? but, but it is, it is so true. When you, when I look at the people you've influenced and even the people that we've influenced, it's only because we've shared things that have helped each other realize our greatness. Um, what, one thing I, I've never seen Gary cry until some of these, com- not commercials, what I'm talking about, some of these shows, right? And these shows have brought something that is at the root of who Gary was. And, and quite frankly, that vulnerability was part of his greatness. And it was, it's so cool to, to understand that there's organizations like you that are bringing that about every day. They help other people realize how unique they are and to evoke that greatness. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's where I wish that, you know, I wish that Eileen could be a fly on the wall in these, yeah. <laughs> you know, the people that you impact and just really see, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure you have an idea of the impact you guys are having, but, you know, just the discussions around the, the dinner table of what your organization is doing for these kids is just, it's gotta be just, amazing yeah. amazing well, it's good work yeah how many people how many students do you guys have right now we have uh, uh just shy of 1200 students for the students in our new york program and then we have that's amazing that's yeah so amazing. and uh we have 
so we because of our capacity building program we have other organizations that serve students and we support them and so through them we serve another 10,000 students another 10,000 so awesome. yeah. did you really just say another 10,000 <laughs> okay so awesome. I have a question for you Eileen. Uh, if let's just say that Elon Musk knocked on your door and said okay you guys have a billion dollars but you can only put it into one initiative you know what I mean? Like one, one single facet, we're going to go ahead and, and just take care of this. From your perspective and what you guys are doing, what do you see is the single biggest need? I know it's all like, there's a lot involved, but I'm just saying if you had to narrow it down to kind of the, the main issue that, that you guys see, what would it be? First, I would be like, you need to be a better donor. So give me some unrestricted dollars. <laughs> that's the first thing I would say. I was like, that's the first thing, Elon. Um, and then the second thing, I'll still take your money, um, <laughs> is, you know, if it's one thing, I would say the power of really good curriculum to be available in every single school across the United States of America, because mm -hmm. our curriculum, uh, I'm just so incredibly proud of it. I think it's dynamic. Um, I think it's story-based, it's experiential, um, it's asset-based and it's responsive to different cultures. And it, it's at the center of pulling in teachers, students, right. Kind of volunteers It's at the core, right. It's mm -hmm. like this, um, you know, I often talk about Opnet's work as the centrif centrifugal core, uh, force, right? We pull players in and then so we keep generating more power, right? And so I think about our curriculum in that way um, because how our students learn is through our teacher's curriculum, right? And how our teachers prepare is through curriculum. So it, it seems like, oh, what a boring thing. It's actually really powerful. Um, good curriculum is incredibly powerful. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say boring is the, the way to say <laughs> no. you guys are doing. Depends on who you ask. I mean, they'd be like curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it, what's so unique though is that you it's completely customized to fit the needs of that student. And it's something that uh, in organizations and education, everything, it, it, it's just so convenient to stick it in buckets instead of going for that uniqueness. And this is what's so special about what you folks are doing there. I, I could have never have known that th this conversation would go this way because it is truly that unique. <laughs> just from a social societalist standpoint to impact standpoint, uh, and and quite frankly, to a generational standpoint, those first students, even though you're you're good buddies and such, you you're you're seeing their kids and everything, and that will directly impact them for a long time to come. And that's mm -hmm. got to be something that you've got to be completely stoked about. Yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> my kids are stoked about it. My kids love, um, they love hearing stories from my work, and they love you know seeing people that have been part of our lives for you know ten and a half years yeah. uh, still being part of our lives. It's exciting. Oh my goodness. Well, it, 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 I like to describe it. And this is something that happens with our Stoke Meter podcast is, is like, it's like, you're just building a bigger and bigger family. You're, yeah. you're, you're through, through the power of story. I, 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 I see story building as family building. You know what yeah. I mean? And even just the discussion that we've had, it's like, I feel like you're part of our family. <laughs> I'm a little bit of your family. And, you know, I, I could be the I could be the, the tall, skinny white guy that comes over for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Korean holiday and we can hang out. You know, it's just, 
I love that. I just love that, you know, when you can bring people together through yeah. the power of story, bonds are built that are very strong, you know, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with your organization too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're building this massive, massive family. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Kudos. Um, thank yeah. you. Big time kudos. And I couldn't thank you enough for your time because you are so busy. I, I, Ehi, poor, poor Ehi was trying to schedule everything. I'm and so sorry. she is, no, she's awesome. I love Ehi. I love that woman. She's so I know. Cool. She's wonderful. She's but really wonderful. I want to thank you for your time because it is indeed precious. And I would hope that if there's anything that we could do for you, uh, just go ahead and you feel free to utilize this platform uh, to, to be able to put the word out, whatever it is that you want to do. All right. Thank you. Thank you and for I the time. To, and I have to say really quick that a lot of our listeners are on like, like, you know, audio only or whatever. You guys got to see at least a clip on YouTube. Like you are just have this bright countenance of awesomeness <laughs> that everyone has to, I mean, I'm, yeah. Anyway. You, you gotta you gotta check it out on oh, YouTube. Oh, Zoom filter is doing me good today. So <laughs> uh, just, just who you are is uh, is so incredible. It's vibrant. Uh, it thank is. you. Really to, to, to describe it. Yeah. Thank I always, I I always tell Maurice I, I get my fix off these. And this is you know, this, <laughs> just having this interaction has just been so fun. Thank you. Thank you. It. And 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 Right when we when we cut off, please stay on for just a second, okay? Yeah. All right. Thanks for the time. You yeah. rock. <laughs>